0: With the 13th pick in the NFL draft,
1: the Philadelphia Eagles select.
2: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA.
3: Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Ladies and gentlemen, can't believe that we've come to the end of the road here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson, alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, and the 2016 NFL Draft is in the books. All 254 selections have been made, eight of them by the Philadelphia Eagles, four of them on offense, four of them on defense. We will break down each and every player. We will discuss where they fit in schematically, From a depth chart standpoint, at this point in the process and what lies ahead for the Eagles, we will hear from one of those players, safety Jalen Mills. Fran Duffy caught up with him at the Senior Bowl, and we will get your reaction to the draft in our draft mailbag. But, gentlemen, I'll give you guys a quick opening statement here, your initial thoughts on the class of 2016 for the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Well, look, I, I like a, a lot of the players they took. Especially, you know, I thought they got really good value in day three with a lot of those picks late in the, in the draft. Uh, but ultimately, we know. It comes down to Carson Wentz. I mean, in terms of the, the history books and how this draft will go down, it will live or die by Carson Wentz's career.
2: Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. Howie uh, Roseman was asked about it uh, in his post-draft press conference to kind of wrap up the whole draft. Uh, and he said that it, it's fair to say that this is the Carson Wentz draft. You know, the other guys could turn out to be really good players, um, but it's all about that first pick and, and trading up to get there. Um, so really really an exciting time, I think, an exciting draft to get into that top two, and now we'll, we'll see what happens with these guys.
3: All right, so we'll take a look at Wentz and the rest of the draft class for the Philadelphia Eagles in our Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. So how much drama was there? Going into the beginning of the NFL draft, we knew the Eagles were going to take a quarterback. We all presumed it was going to be Jar- Jared Goff would go to the Rams, and then Carson Wentz would be there for the Eagles. Were either of you guys nervous when the Rams were on the clock that maybe that all the positive reports, all the uh, you know hyperbole starting to be thrown Carson Wentz's way might have the Rams change their mind?
0: I was a little nervous. Uh, and I was in the studio, we're getting ready for everything that we were getting ready to do that night and all the coverage that uh, followed on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, uh, I was very nervous but was thrilled when I heard the commissioner say Jared Goff was going to the L.A. Rams.
2: I'll be completely honest. I was sweating bullets when the commissioner was walking <laughs> up to you the were podium. In Chicago, too. And look,
0: look, I like Jared Goff.
2: I think he's a good quarterback. We've talked about him a lot sure. on this show. And if he did fall to the Eagles, I would have been, been happy with it. But Wentz was the guy I wanted all along. Uh, so, I was actually watching in Chicago in the media workroom that they have. Uh, so, we were all kind of huddled around the TVs waiting for the commissioner to come up. I was actually standing next to John Clark from Comcast Sportsnet. Uh, and he was like, Man, you got to calm down. You gotta, like, <laughs> Wait,
3: John Clark yeah, told you to yes. calm down?
2: He told me to calm down. As Goodell was walking to the podium, <laughs> I was just like, Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. And he's like, You got to calm down. You got to calm down. And I don't even think that I heard the commissioner say Jared Goff. I just saw his mouth, like, voice out Jared and I just went back and I like went over to my computer and did like a fist bump <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty sad but uh
3: it's funny you say that because I saw John Clark here later in the weekend at NovaCare mm-hmm. and I said to him what would you have done if Jared Goff was a pick because he was like the Carson right. One stalker in Chicago yeah. from the airport to everything else I was like John like John you airport. you were you were like totally you totally sold out for you know, Carson I Wentz
2: really bad for is Josh Ponil. From birds twenty four seven, he was in North Dakota at the Carson Wentz pep rally. Yeah. So, could you imagine if you take that trip all the way out to North Dakota and the Eagles don't take him? I would have felt really bad for him. So, I was happy for Josh that uh, that Carson Wentz was the pick.
3: He would have been freelancing for uh dot <laughs> com sure, yes. at that point. But sure. like, well, I got a story here. I might as well get it. So, or you could just sell a trip to California well, for well, Jared There you go. Jared Goff's home story. But so Wentz is the guy and. Fran, I think one of my favorite pieces from the weekend was your film breakdown with John D. Filippo, which you can see on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you can just see why the coaches were so in love with him, not just from the person that he is. And we got a chance to know him over the weekend, a lot of different interviews. I thought Dave Spadaro did a great one-on-one to get a little bit more about him off the field. We got to spend time with his brother and sister-in-law here in Philadelphia. Uh, we saw his press conference. I mean, just a very genuine Midwestern, uh, comes from a, you know, has a great roots and everything, uh, the North Dakota background, but on the field, though, he has everything you'd want in a prospect at the quarterback position, from the size, to the arm strength, to the football IQ from the offense he played in at North Dakota State, and what he was asked to do.
0: Yeah, what he was asked to do, exactly right, And, and really... There are so many aspects of Carson Wentz's game that translate well to the NFL, and that was something that I really wanted to get across in all the segments that we did with Greg Cosell uh, on Draft Weekend. Was you know looking at his pocket poise and his decision making. Obviously, the arm strength is there, the physical traits are great, but you know we focused on his pre snap ability. We f- we found all these different examples of things that translate to the NFL. Those quarterback skills, uh, and Carson Wentz has all that. And it's not like oh yeah. You know, he played in 700 plays, and I pulled three that fit. No, like this is something that you saw uh, pretty consistently throughout his career and, you know, over the last year especially, uh, and really, really excited. Obviously, we also, too, got the access uh, inside the draft room. So you get to see the reaction of, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson and Frank Reich when they all get to talk to him and welcome him to the team. Uh, you can tell that everybody is really, really excited, and rightfully so. He's a, he's a great player.
2: Yeah, Frank Reich had a huge smile on his face yeah. the whole time that he was talking to Carson. And he brought up the the really cool story, which was when they had Carson in for his visit here in Philadelphia. At the end of their meetings, I think it was Reich who said something to him about, like, man, like, I, I really hope that you end up here, or something like that. And Carson said, hey, make it happen. Howie yeah. Roseman made it happen. Jeffrey Lurie made it happen. And now Carson Wentz is the quarterback of the future here in Philadelphia.
3: I think the biggest thing with Carson is just seems like he's mentally tough. And I think when you're coming to Philadelphia, you're going to be playing for a rabid fan base, passionate fan base. You know, he he had that at North Dakota State. I don't, I've never been to a game in Fargo. I can't compare it. Um, But he's going to have to go through the ups and downs. And I think he's going to need to have to learn to go through some of the downs, which he really didn't have that many of mm. in his time in North Dakota State. 20-3 and 3 as a starter. Uh, you know, I love how he handled himself when he did have the wrist injury in his final season there in Fargo and had to miss seven games it was, I believe. And instead of being someone who was like, I'm going to start preparing for my NFL career, I'm going to kind of forget about my teammates, I'm going to worry about myself, he basically became a coach. And helped the backup quarterback and was at all the practices, was on the sidelines, and but at the same time working behind the scenes so that if he would have an opportunity to play in the championship game, he'd be ready. And there were probably, and I was discussing this with Ross Tucker, who was on the set with me during the weekend, Ike Reese. You know, this is a kid who could have said, I've got an NFL future. If I go out here and stink it up in this championship game, that could torpedo my draft stock. And he didn't. He went out there, he gutted it out. Hadn't played in two to three months and you know, went out and led the Bison to the national championship, back-to-back national title. So, um, but I think that male toughness is going to come into play. And I like the approach that the Eagles have for now is that he works behind the scenes. He learns the offense. He learns how to acclimate to life in the NFL. And I also admire the fact that his brother and sister-in-law are going to move here yeah. to provide a support system. I think that just shows you how serious that not only he but his family are in helping him succeed,
2: yeah, and I was really impressed with how he came across in every interview that he did. You mentioned how many that he did, from draft night to coming back here to Philadelphia. Um, and not only was I impressed, I think he impressed a lot of the fans out there as well, uh, because I think with the casual fans, when the trade was first made, maybe they didn't know too much about him. They hear that he's this quarterback from the FCS, and how, you know, why would you trade up? You know, why would you trade the picks to go get a guy from the FCS? But in just a short period of time, in a couple days span, I think that he's really impressed some people with the way that he handles himself. Um, and of course, some people will wait to see. You know, we'll wait to see what he does on the field and how he handles himself on the field, because ultimately, that's probably what matters the most. But I think he did a really nice job of kind of shifting some of the opinion out there uh, and really kind of setting that foundation for who he's going to be as a player. So I was really impressed with how he handled himself.
0: Yeah, and then, Chris, you brought it up, just how he's going to be used, how this affects the quarterback picture moving forward. I think that's something we should try and hit on with all these picks is how does this now impact the rest of the roster, or at least in, in that position room? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at Carson Wentz, how does he fit in with Chase Daniel and Sam Bradford? And obviously, look, the plan is Sam Bradford's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, you know, Chase Daniels going to be number two, and Carson Wentz is going to redshirt. Uh, sit back, learn the offense, learn the scheme, uh, learn how to become a pro and, and be ready for the future.
3: Yeah, so, you know, Sam Bradford may not be here. Again, it's voluntary. There is one mandatory mandatory mini camp in June leading up to training camp. Um, And I think this will all resolve itself in due time. Again, you know, we said this before the draft. Sam Bradford may not be happy with how things played out, but he's got to be a pro. And at the end of the day, come in. He signed his contract. He's got to come in here and be the, the leader of this football team that he's expected to be. You know, he's expected to be the guy in 2016. This is an Eagles team that they can win now. They can win the division, but in order to do so, it would make things much easier with Sam Bradford at quarterback. He is a big part of the plans here for this season to get this team back to its winning ways.
2: I know the plan is for Bradford to be the starting quarterback, and I think that most likely he would give you the best chance to go out and win the division this year and perhaps, you know, test your luck in the playoffs. But there, there's a, a small part of me that thinks that maybe Carson Wentz goes out there, tears it up in training camp, has a great preseason, and he ultimately wins the job. I think it's it's not the most likely scenario, um, but just seeing you know how much command he had of the offense at North Dakota State um, and the potential that he has, maybe it's a Russell Wilson scenario where he was not supposed to be the starter. True. His first year in Seattle, Matt Flynn was the guy. He was named the starter going into the year, and. But if a guy's performing that well, sometimes you can't help but give him the job. So uh, I do think that Bradford's probably your best bet this year, but I do think there's a small chance that maybe Carson Wentz goes out there and you know speeds up that plan a little bit.
3: Let's see it. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm open to it. If he wins a job, great, but let's go out there and see sure. it. We haven't seen him in – we've seen him in a midnight green uniform, just not on the yeah. football field, throwing passes just yet. So that was day one for the Philadelphia Eagles in the third round. With the 79th overall selection, the Eagles took guard slash center. Isaac Sayamalo from Oregon State, a player who, when you look at all the draft picks here, I'm going to argue that he might have the chance, the best chance, to be an instant impact day one starter because I think he's going to be thrown into the mix at left guard and battle Alan Barber, Matt Tobin, Andrew Gardner, whomever else is in that mix there for that starting job. Yeah, and it's
0: it's ironic too. He has started games at the college level at four out of the five offensive yeah. line spots, and the only position he hasn't got the starts at is left, left guard. Left. Doesn't mean he can't do it, obviously. Yeah. But what's going to really mention that Draft weekend. It's like but look, he's, look he, it's he's he's a really fun player to watch. You guys know, you guys see like my notes that I take on players, yep. and you know that the guys I really like, I highlight in green. And he was one of the guys I had highlighted. I really, really, really like Isaac Sayamalu. Um, his athletic ability uh, to get out in space and also help in the, in the zone run game uh, is, is very, very exceptional. And then also his competitiveness. You know, he gets after it in the run game, a relentless run blocker. He's got some things to clean up in terms of his technique, but you see the upside there. I, I thought he had starting potential in the NFL. Wasn't surprised at all to see the Eagles take him this early.
2: There were clips of him online in the Oregon game. I think he was playing left tackle in that game. Yes. Um, matched up against DeForest Buckner. Yeah. Now I haven't watched the full game. I don't know if you have, um, but the clips I'm that are the,
3: full the clips game. that I'm are like out that.
2: there are him just manhandling DeForest Buckner and just moving him from one line, one side of the line of scrimmage to the other. Um, and that's really exciting to watch. I'm sure there were some plays where Buckner got the better of him, but um, just seeing that potential and what he could potentially bring to that Eagles offensive line. I think it's a pretty exciting pick.
0: Yeah, and I think it's like C-Mac said. I think that he's got a really good shot at coming in and starting immediately at that left guard spot, uh, at least competing with Alan Barber, with Steven Wisniewski uh, for that starting role opposite Brandon Brooks. And and now this offensive line looks like it's coming together. I mean, you have Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. You've got Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey, uh, whoever wins this, this last guard spot. I mean, the offensive line looks like it's coming together
2: yeah I, I think the health of Jason Peters is the biggest key of the whole offensive line. If you have a healthy Jason Peters at left tackle, everything else, I think, falls into place. So because you know if you don't have Peters and you move Lane Johnson over, and you know it's a whole musical chairs game to find that offensive line, that right combination. But if Peters stays healthy and every, everything else kind of falls into place, I think the Eagles offensive line could have a nice bounce back here.
3: I think the draft will help settle some of the musical chairs, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. but in the day three of the NFL draft. The Eagles were quite busy, worked a trade in there, uh, but had two fifth-round picks, and the first of them was used on Wendell Smallwood, the Big 12's leading rusher in 2015 out of West Virginia, and you like the versatility. I know that's a buzzword that gets used a lot this time of year, but the fact that uh, he's proficient at catching the ball out of the backfield as well as running the ball uh, makes him an intriguing young addition to a running back room that we figured had to be addressed at some point with the departure of DeMarco Murray earlier this offseason.
0: Yeah, and the big thing that always stood out to me with Smallwood was that versatility. You know, They, they moved him all over the formation at West Virginia, uh, and they used him in space. And that, that was where he was at his best. He was a solid athlete, was able to catch the ball pretty well out of the backfield, uh, was able to hit a second gear in, in the open field. The biggest thing with him was, though, that he could line up in the slot, he could line up out wide. They asked him to run routes as a wide receiver at times too, and he was able to catch passes uh, doing that. So you know, when, as soon as the, dra- the selection was made, I looked over at Greg and, and said, you know what, could he be De'Anthony Thomas and, and what the, the Eagles are going to do offensively coming from Kansas City with Doug Peterson, could he be what De'Anthony Thomas was uh, in that Chiefs offense the last couple of years? And that's kind of that movable chess piece guy who can get 10 to 12 touches in a game. Could Smallwood be that kind of player? I think that could be could be what they see him as. Yeah,
2: 1,500 rushing yards. I think he had last year for the Mountaineers, and obviously they play that spread offense. Uh, you know, a lot of the running game is a huge part of what they do. So I'll be really interested to see how he kind of adapts to the pro style offense and the NFL game. Um, but certainly a really versatile player, uh, a speedy guy, and I think he's a really good complement to Ryan Matthews and. Um, I think this kind of solidifies that Matthews is going to be probably the bell cow for this team, but uh, I think that Smallwood and and Darren Sproles can really provide an interesting change of pace whenever they're in the game.
3: I'm still intrigued by Kenyon Barner. Yeah. You know, he showed some things in last year's preseason, worked his way onto the roster, and physically looks so much different than last year. We have to wait and see how that translates to the football field, but Mm -hmm. it seems like that, and you'll hear this phrase as well, he looks like he's in the best shape of his life at this point so one of those usual uh, June cliches that you hear uh, Mm -hmm. around the NFL. Uh, The one interesting thing with Smallwood was that he was the first of a couple character concern picks Mm -hmm. for the Philadelphia Eagles and he had some unsavory tweets, Um, he was involved in a, it was a witness intimidation situation that he was absolved of down the line, but he basically, he came down to Philadelphia. He's a Wilmington, Delaware native, group, an Eagles fan, came to Philadelphia after he was drafted, met with the media, and took all the questions head on. Um, and then Harry Roseman said that, look, the security team and the scouts, they did their research behind the scenes and felt that he had matured, that he had moved on from, you know, the decision that he made in the past, uh, felt he started to surround himself with better people in his life and was on the right track, and the Eagles agreed and decided that he was worth bringing in, bring him here to Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's the things that we talk about all the time in terms of uh, not just the off the field but also the medical, is that each team is going to come to a different conclusion based off what the, the feedback that they get from their scouts and the research that they put in. And one of the phrases that you hear all the time when talking about characteristics is, oh, well, what were the things that you did when you were in your early 20s? Here's the other thing, too, you got to take into account with that is what not only what did you do when you were in your you know late teens early twenties, but what would you have done if you were in your late teens early twenties and you were put in a position where you were the main man on campus and you know everybody looked to you, you know you were the, the star running back or the star corner or you know the the starting quarterback and you know you're 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 put into a lifestyle where yeah like if you make a bad decision it can crumble. So mm-hmm. uh, look, obviously with all these guys I think the Eagles feel comfortable. <clears throat> with them as human beings moving forward, and that they can trust them, we've seen that uh, pan out for them in the past. You know, Deshaun had issues coming out of uh, out of Cal when he came out. Uh, obviously, they took an- another chance on Michael Vick when he when he came out and came back to the NFL, uh, and it's worked out for them in a good way.
3: And I'll be honest, you know, there are a couple other guys who fit in the same boat, Jalen Mills, who we'll talk about later, Alex McAllister, defensive end from Florida. These are late round picks. It's not a heavy investment. Right. This isn't like you're hitching your you know, right. train to the Wentz wagon or something right. like that. And, sure. and if some if a pick flames out, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. You right. want these guys to flourish, and they have the potential to flourish. And maybe, and I think Harry Rosen brought this up, that maybe they're humbled by what happened to say, you know what, maybe, like you mentioned, Fran, once I was the big man on campus, that's not the case anymore. Right. I've yep. got to earn my way in the NFL.
2: Yeah, and Smallwood, like you guys said, he came out and owned it in his press conference. You know. He said, you know... It was on me, bad decisions. I, I, I apologize to anybody that I offended. Um, but for him, and for him, the uh, the arrest issue was—he was in high school when that happened. So it, it, it's something that kind of played out over a period of time. But um, certainly, I was really impressed with the way that he just came out and, and and owned everything.
3: All right. So with the second selection in the fifth round, number one sixty-five overall, the Eagles addressed the offensive line once again with Halapulavati Vitae from TCU. When he was first selected, heard the name. It was Joan Gill, the 48-year season ticket member, announced it at the Ling. Seth Joyner was there on hand. And I think a lot of people were like, what name did she just say? <laughs> the thing was, I recognized the name. I just wasn't sure where he was going to fit because he has the long frame. But I didn't know if he was a player who was going to kick inside to the next level. But, no, he is a tackle prospect for the Eagles. Played both right tackle and left tackle. Uh, you know, when you have the wingspan like he has... You want to have them out there in space, and you mentioned about the musical chairs with, uh, you know, last season after once you lose Jason Pierce, kind of everything's out of flux. Mm -hmm. I think the Eagles want to get to a position where they have guys ready to go in positions that they should be playing, Mm -hmm. that could play uh, if there is an injury, and Vitai could be a big part of that because they need that developmental tackle type, and they're investing once again in the offensive line.
0: Yeah, and I remember actually after the Eagles selected Sayamalu, we had Doug Peterson in the studio. Dave Spadaro sat with Doug, and they talked about, you know, what do you look for in an offensive line? Every coach needs different things for their offensive line. And one of the first things that Doug brought up was versatility, a guy that can play a couple different roles. Uh, And Big V certainly fills that in in terms of a guy who has starts at left tackle and right tackle, because that's not an easy projection to make either. If a player uh, has only played on the left side his whole career, oh, yeah, we'll just move him over to the right. Uh, Mm. Look, there's a reason why the – uh, the Tennessee Titans traded up to number eight to take Jack Conklin, who they know that can play right tackle because they didn't want to move Taylor Lewan, who had never played a snap on the right side. I think Vitae gives you the ability to ha- have some swing potential there. He's a big frame kid. He can move people when, he's te- when his technique's right. Obviously, he has some things to clean up. That's why he was a late fifth-round pick, uh, but certainly has the frame to turn into a nice run, run blocker up front.
2: Yeah, and I think I have the spelling of his first name down at this point. It, it took me a that little I bit, do not have. but I think I have. Well, it's funny, a little behind-the-scenes story is when the, we heard that he was going to be the pick, uh, we were back here watching, c was obviously down hosting the show, uh, so for everything we had to do digitally on social and, and on the website, uh, we heard the name and I just went, oh, it's the Vitai guy! <laughs> and <laughs> the <Vitae> uh, guy. <laughs> there was, I was like, well, how do you spell his first name? And I just went, Google it! Because I didn't know how to do it off the top of my head I knew that it was a long first name but you knew who it was but Right, I, just, I said Google TCU Vitae um, That's good But uh, That's how I did it But I think I have it down at this point um, But well, yeah. let's, hear
0: it. let's hear it, let me hear
2: it uh, Without looking? Without looking, yeah. obviously Halapulavati H-A-L-A-P-O-U-L-I-V-A-A-T-I There we go Halapulavati
0: can you use it there? in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I cannot. Well, actually, I can. Ha- uh, I like Halapul <laughs> <Not> Hal <Poulibata. laughs> Hal uh, I just spelled <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, he's, a, he's a nice developmental prospect at the tackle position. Big body, big frame. A um, guy that I don't think we talked a whole lot about on this podcast, but Mike Mayock on his pre-draft press conference, literally the day or a couple days before the draft started, He was a guy who he mentioned right away when he was asked about potential third round, mid round guys, um, offensive line prospects that are that were kind of on the rise, and he said that Vitai was a guy that he was hearing a lot about. So uh, I'm excited about the potential for him.
0: I was talking with Mike a couple weeks ago, and he was glowing about this. And he goes, "I hadn't watched him yet," and he goes, "You got to watch Vitai. Go watch him against Faris Buckner. Go watch him against Faris Buckner." And that was obviously a very impressive game for him, uh, where he battled with uh, with a top ten pick. Um, Vitai is certainly an intriguing prospect.
3: All right, so in terms of where he fits in, so at left tackle you have Jason Peters, right tackle Lane Johnson. Mm-hmm. You have Andrew Gardner, who could be a swing guy, play guard and tackle. Dennis Kelly yep. is another player who has that versatility as well. He stepped in at times last year for the Eagles, but I think they're trying to find a down-the-road answer because, again, Jason Peters can still be great in 2016, but you got to start thinking beyond that. You need to have a guy kind of in the pipeline ready to go. And the Eagles wouldn't really have that young guy. Again, they haven't drafted an offensive lineman since Elaine Johnson in 2013. We all have heard that many times before. So finally they get a guy that they can develop, and he comes to a great situation. Like you said, Fran, he needs to be a little more consistent with his technique. Well, he's going to get great coaching and have two outstanding players, two outstanding starters to learn from in Johnson and Peters. All right, in the sixth round, the Eagles moved back after a trade with the Minnesota Vikings, and then they took Auburn defensive back Blake Countess, uh, started his career at Michigan, transferred to Auburn, and in his one season had two interceptions. Earlier in his career, Michigan had six interceptions, was one of the leading interceptors in the entire nation, uh, but another, I I can't stand using the word versatile, but (laughs) he played the boundary, he played the nickel, he played safety was all over the field for the Tigers. Uh, great football IQ. Jim rat loves to be in the film room. Uh, a nice addition here for the Eagles. And it's interesting that he's listed as a defensive back because the Eagles, much like, say, like a Jalen Watkins, sure. can kind of train him at all the different positions.
0: I loved this pick. Uh, he So back in the fall, preparing for the senior ball, Jonathan Jones had just gotten a senior ball invite. And I hadn't watched Jones. I knew he was an undersized corner, so I'm watching him. And I said, oh, they got another senior. I'll, w- I'll watch him, too. And it was Blake Countess. And I, I really, really liked Blake Countess. Uh, I think he ended up as, like, my number seven safety up on the board or something really? like that. I really, really liked him. Uh, you mentioned the versatility. He played all over the field. Uh, but he played mostly in the slot. was where he, he played, mm-hmm. at least in the games that I watched, played mostly in the slot. Had the quickness to be able to do it, had the instincts, saw the ball skills. He saw really relentless coming downhill too. Fearless tackler. Uh, he's undersized and he's under five ten, but he's a fun player to watch, man. I, I had a, I think it was the Mississippi State game was the game where I was really really impressed watching him. Uh, and again, you just see that well rounded skill set. Undersized. I was surprised honestly that he didn't get more love from like the, you know, the Shrine Game or, or the Senior Bowl or uh, wasn't invited to the Combine. I mean, he was a guy that. I thought really highly of watching him and was surprised that he didn't get as much love in the postseason.
2: So the way that the Eagles depth chart is right now in the secondary, where is he going to fit in best, do you think? Is it at Nickel That's a,
0: that's a good question. I would say probably competes at Nickel right away, but that's why it's going to be so interesting because you, you mentioned Jalen Watkins, Chris. Mm-hmm. You've got Jalen Watkins who can go who could play either spot. You've got Ron Brooks who can play corner safety and nickel. You've got Leotis McKelvin who can play inside outside. Mm. You've got Jalen Watkins, obviously. Mm. Uh, it's a co- really competitive Jalen so Mills as well. Jaquori Shepard, Randall Evans, dude. It's a it's that's an interesting secondary Dental in terms Rice. of the, co- the competition is right. going
3: to be really really fun it's, to watch this summer. And they add even more to it with Jalen Mills, yeah, talented yeah. defensive back prospect from LSU. Um, it was a two hundred thirty third overall selection. Taller, but still lean, six one, about one hundred ninety three pound or so. Uh, where do you think he fits into the mix here? Now that you add another diff- draft pick into the it's equation,
0: It's because it's almost like the, it's like what we just talked about with Countess. Is that look? He played safety for. Uh, he was listed as a safety the last two years. Started his career as an outside corner. When he came back from his injury, he broke his leg last summer. When he came back from his injury, he played in the slot. They had two established starters in the secondary at safety, so they said, "All right, you're going to be our starter in nickel inside." Played that at a high level. Then he goes to the Senior Bowl. It was one of the best corners at the Senior Bowl. Outside, he made plays all week long on the outside. Showed that he had the ability to do that. He's six foot one, so he's got the size to be able to do it. He's got the athletic ability, the ball skills, the instincts. You know, I think that he could theoretically fit in at either spot. I listed him personally as a safety, but you know, I think he said on Twitter, "Oh no, I'm going to be a corner." Like I think you know these. Look, it's going to be a really interesting competition regardless with both of these guys. and However you list them, if you list them as a corner or you list them as a safety, I think really the value comes in sub-package. You have two guys that uh, can play down in the slot, have shown they can, they can, they can do that at the high level uh, and be able to hang with, with slot receivers in the middle of the field. I think that's a really, really important thing to have in this defense when you want to go to sub-package.
2: Yeah, I think Jim Schwartz is going to have a lot of fun uh, with those two players, especially with Mills. He's a physical guy. There's a video of him uh, online. And I think it's a special teams drill that LSU was doing where he basically had to run through like three blockers. And they were just, you know, like triple teaming and like throwing them off to the side. And he was just, the whole team went nuts when he gets through every guy. He finally gets to the dummy and makes the tackle. Uh, but he's a, a physical player. Um, you can do a lot of different things with him. I just think that Jim Schwartz came in here and he really wanted to add an edge to the Eagles defense. Uh, And I think that's what they did in free agency with guys like McKelvin and Brooks and Rodney McLeod, obviously. Uh, And these are two two more players who can bring kind of that that nastiness to the secondary. The secondary's got some
0: talent. This this is going to be, you could say the same thing about the offensive line, too, about the battles we're going to see in that second tier in in the backup realm in the offensive line. I'm really excited to watch the secondary competition this summer.
2: And also, I also wanted to note that Mel Kiper from ESPN had a second-round grade on Jalen Mills, oh, yeah. and the yeah. Eagles got him 233rd overall.
3: Oh, yeah. Dane Brugler, I think, had him as a top 75 prospect. Yeah. I mean, look, it was the off-the-field stuff mm-hmm. that played a big role in knocking him down a peg. What's interesting between Countess and Mills is that the Eagles are have gone away from the specifics when it comes to height yes. and weight. Mm-hmm. It's more, can you play? Yep. It's more the physical nature. Because you mentioned it with Mills, I remember I got a chance to talk with Gus Malzahn on the phone about Countess. These are physical football players. Yeah. They relish being able to come up and hit someone. You mentioned they want to bring an edge to the defense. Schwartz wants that aggressiveness. All the guys they brought in, some of the guys obviously played for him in Buffalo, all bring that to the table. So it's going to be a much different tone. Look at Rodney yeah. McLeod coming yeah. to start at safety opposite Jenkins. It's, it's going to be a different feel yeah. on that back end of the defense. This season,
0: I'm I'm excited to see the secondary, and, and it'll be a good battle for who's going to start at corner uh, opposite Eric Rowe. I would decide, I would imagine the chalk answer right now is probably leotis McKelvin or, or Nolan Carroll, or Nolan Carroll too. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> Nolan dude, this this secondary, it's going to be really interesting, really interesting yeah. to watch.
2: Yeah, I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but like you said, C Mac, it's it's going to be fun, and it's going to be a different defense than what we've seen the last three years for
3: sure. The second of three seventh round picks for the Eagles, another. Off the field concern, but edge rusher Alex McAllister, defensive end from Florida. Someone who has some freaky measurables, has a talent. Now it's just a matter, can he put it together on the field?
0: Yeah, and one of the guys that, as I was watching football throughout the fall, uh, every time I would watch Florida, this kid McAllister was flying all over the field and making a a flash play. You watch him, and look, he is, I I think I said it with Greg the other day when we did the All-22 piece. He's a, at this point, a one-trick pony as a pass rusher, but that one trick is really good. That's why, obviously, look, that's why he goes in the seventh round, sure. and he's got the ability to bend, to, to run the hoop, accelerate running after the quarterback. He can do that, and that's a trait that you love to have as a pass rusher in the NFL. Needs to work on some things as a football player, but that's a really good seventh-round pick. A guy that, that has a lot of upside. I had somebody text me on Sunday and say, he could be the steal of the draft. Uh, really? Period, yeah. So, you know, So it, it would be... Uh, it's going to be fun to watch him, especially in this, in this scheme. You know, as a in the, When you go to sub-package and if you do utilize some of those wide nine players, uh, you know, could Alex McAllister be that guy coming off the edge and screaming at the quarterback? I mean, I think that could be a good fit for him as a fourth or fifth defensive end.
2: Yeah, like you said, I think you have to you, – you probably envision him as a sub-package player uh, next year coming up with the Eagles, but when the Eagles get into that sub-package and they're coming after the quarterback – and they have Brandon Graham and Vinny Curry and McAllister. Who knows what happens with Marcus Smith? I think he could be in line for for a nice bounce-back season. Um, Connor Barwin, these guys, we just talked about the secondary is going to be fun. The defensive line is going to be really fun too. So uh, I think Schwartz is going to put a lot of trust into these guys to get after the quarterback without sending too much extra pressure. Uh, But I think that they have the guys to do it on this roster.
3: Fletcher Cox coming up the interior, sure, you know, sure. just just that throw that in there as well. So Mike Martin, um, hey, hey, I like Mike Martin coming yeah. out of Michigan, man. I will tell you that I'm not shocked they went defensive end because I felt like that was another position that you got to add that yeah. that depth guy more than anything else. Look, starting wise, you know, your big three with Curry, Graham, Barwin, very nicely set there. Who is that fourth guy? Who And this was, this was a question last year at outside linebacker. It's really similar now. You just move it to defensive end. Is Marcus Smith going to step up? Is there going to be a guy like, you know, does Brian Raymond or Travis Long mm-hmm. maybe benefit from the scheme change and flourish? We'll wait and see. But you need to add someone who could be that developmental guy there.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing that we haven't talked about is the value of Alex McAllister in, in a pass rush class that wasn't particularly strong. We were talking off air before the podcast started about, different positions where more players have been drafted this year or more or less compared to the last five, and there are less edge rushers drafted this year than the average. Over the last five years, the average was 26 edge rushers drafted each year. This year it was only 20. Well, you get that last one, Alex McAllister, a guy that probably should have gone earlier in the draft, you get a good value at seven.
3: No question. It's always fascinating what teams do with these late-round picks. Do you find a guy who has a crazy upside that you hope to develop Mm -hmm. Or do you find a guy that you know that, hey, he might be limited in certain ways, but I could plug him to this role, Mm -hmm. and he'll be set for the next couple years, and he'll be a good special teams guy, he'll be a backup at this position, uh, you know, with McAllister, you get a guy that's, hey, if he can cultivate that talent, maybe this could be, like you said, Fran, the steal of the draft. Last pick for the Eagles, number 251 overall, linebacker Joe Walker from Oregon.
0: The only pick that I hadn't watched Um, But he had a monstrous pro day, uh, and his numbers were very, very good. I think he finished number three of all off-the-ball linebackers in Spark, um, which was obviously very, very impressive. Uh, So, look, a guy that can play sideline to sideline. Howie Roseman talked about how he was the junior college player of the year a couple years ago, Uh, so has been productive on the football field. Uh, I'm, excited, I'm excited to see how he'll play into this linebacker competition.
2: Yeah, and linebacker was certainly a spot that the Eagles needed to add some depth to. Uh, so they come away with Walker here in the seventh round. Uh, I, I like his potential, I really do, for for all the reasons that you just mentioned, Fran. But um, I think a lot of times fans look at seventh round picks and they say, you know, so taken so late in the draft, how much can they actually contribute, and you know, what's their role going to be? But seventh round picks, it, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. We see undrafted guys all the time who come out and have uh, nice careers. Bo Allen was a seventh-round pick a couple years ago, uh, and he kind of worked his way into that defense, that uh, defensive tackle rotation pretty early. So um, I wouldn't be too shocked if Walker does the same thing and, and finds his role as you know, the, the fourth or fifth linebacker on this team.
3: Uh, the NFL, during the draft coverage on NFL Network over the weekend, has stat, I believe it's close to 66% of players who actually soup and play on Sundays are day three or later yeah. mm-hmm. picks. The best teams
0: draft well day three. Yes,
3: and there was an ESPN study that came out just before the draft that the Eagles in the last ten years were number three on day three selections. Really? Yes. Interesting. Highlighted by Jason Kelsey, a six-round pick in 2011. All right, so that's going to do it for Draft Buzz. Now let's send it to Fran Duffy once again, who caught up with Jalen Mills at the Senior Bowl, our last unofficial but maybe now you can call it official visit. Yeah, can call this official. Yes, the official visit with Jalen Mills. The unofficial
1: visit.
0: Here now with LSU defensive back Jalen Mills. And Jalen, what's interesting about you is that you played a lot of safety the last year you were in LSU, played some corner. You're listed as a corner here at the Senior Bowl. For those who have yet to see you play, give a quick scouting report of yourself.
1: I'm um, very versatile guy. You know, I can line up anywhere in the secondary. Um, football, for what I know, coming out of college the football IQ is pretty high. I mean, but it's always room for improvement. And, um, I mean, just out here competing with these guys, man, they're just getting you better every day and getting ready for that next level.
0: Is there one area of your game based off the feedback you've gotten from scouts that you know you want to improve on moving forward?
1: Yeah, um, just me just being more versatile. You know, I, I, I consider myself versatile, but you can always be better. You, you can always take that extra step to be just that better.
0: I feel like LSU is just shooting out defensive backs left yeah. and right. Is there a player in the league that you feel like you've leaned on throughout the process, throughout your career?
1: Yeah, um, even for my freshman year, uh, Tyron. I mean, um, he's been like a big brother to me. You know, I'm, I know he's he's going through a lot right now. I mean, but, I mean, just that guy, I mean, he's just so motivated. You know, um, when I was at LSU, he helped me when, when I really didn't know. And, I mean, now, I mean, if I was to have any question about I mean, life, not even football. You know, he'll he'll be able to tell me about anything.
0: Obviously, he was a guy, too, that played corner. He played nickel. He played safety, just like you. Uh, Is that an area where you feel like you can take that to the
1: next level as well? Because he does that with the Arizona Cardinals? Of course. You know, um, just being... I mean, just that extra man, you know, not having to bring, I mean, the coaches here I've been interviewing with, not having to bring that extra guy, you know, on, on those away games, I mean, on that roster, you know, just being able to plug in, plug me in anywhere, I mean, whether it's safety, nickel, or corner, and and guys being able to trust me to know I could be able to do my job.
0: And then the last question for you, Jalen, uh, a lot of big-time receivers in the SEC. Who would you say was the best player you went up against this senior year?
1: Um, SEC, in the slot, I, I had the – Uh, it was, it was, it was tough sticking Kevin really, you know, um, young guy, I mean, but he's, he's quick. I mean, quicker than most people think he is. I mean, but yeah, that guy's pretty good.
0: All right. Well, gentlemen, best of luck moving forward. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Now
3: it's time to hear from you, the fans in the draft mailbag. Gentlemen, time for our final draft mailbag. Final segment.
2: Wow. Don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. That's how I feel about this
3: podcast, guys. (laughs) (laughs) With that being said, (laughs) let's get into your questions, your reaction to the Eagles 2016 NFL Draft on Twitter. The first question here, or one question in fact, comes from our good friend at Eagles Troll. Eagles Troll the World wants to know which member of the draft class has the best year or best chance to make an impact in year two. Interesting. We talked about year one, and I think we would agree, Sayamalo is the best from chance. Day one, yeah. mm-hmm. day one, potential to start at left guard there. will be in the mix. You know, second guy on this list, just as I'm just trying to scroll through, maybe Smallwood from a return standpoint has for that year return one. experience yeah. for, year, for year one. But let's look ahead to year two. Mm. And certainly I think the Eagles are hoping that the redshirt year for Carson Wentz leads to him winning the starting job in year two. So yes. I'm going to say... Carson Wentz
0: I think that's a fair number one answer for the three of us um, in terms of other players I mean look you, you would imagine if Sam Milo is going to impact year one that he'll be an impact player year two uh, of the rest I'll say Jalen Mills oh you took my answer yeah I would sure. say Jalen Mills around uh, seven and I really like you know I really like Countess as well but Mills is a very very talented player and I think he's got the ability to contribute outside inside or at safety uh, he'll find a way to get on the field
2: Well, my first two answers would be Wentz or Jalen Mills. But uh, just to go someone different, I'll go with Wendell Smallwood. And I think that in his first year, he'll kind of be, as I mentioned earlier, that change of pace for Ryan Matthews. But I think there's a a chance that he shows enough in year one where he gets an even bigger role in year two. Maybe he eventually takes over the starter's job in year two, can do a lot of different things from the running back position. So uh, I'll go with Wendell Smallwood.
3: Uh, I'll go with someone different. I'm gonna think that you know, hopefully Jason Pierce is here for a long time, but maybe potentially if you know he plays here in two thousand sixteen, we'll see what happens in two thousand seventeen. But does Hallopool Vadi Vitae, you know, enter the mix to become a starter potentially? Do they see him as that type of player? Fifth round pick, again, developmental kid. Again, lot to like about him from a size and athleticism standpoint, but you know, if you're looking for I'll go go off chalk there, so to speak. So maybe I'll say I'll throw Vitae into the mix. You know, do the Eagles have their long-term answer at a right tackle potentially? Thinking, again, that Johnson will switch at some point to left tackle, Mm -hmm. that you need someone to eventually take over the right tackle spot. I hope it's Peters for years to come, but if not, maybe Vitae could be the guy near to. But I think we are all in agreement that Carson Wentz is the first guy that you're looking at. You want to start seeing that number two overall pick. Payoff. Alright, next uh, comment here comes from Greg Aument at Aument14 on Twitter. Uh, at Eagles, sure would have loved to see Bird take a shot on a wide receiver. Like building O-line and DBs, but sure love some speed. And when I was doing the draft with Ike all weekend, his guy that he wanted was Colby Listenby from TCU. So he wanted a TCU guy. The Eagles got a TCU guy, just not the one that he wanted. Um... Certainly, I expect them to add some wide receivers in the undrafted for agent process. Those players have not yet been announced. Um, But I thought one of the big winners for the Eagles on draft weekend was Josh Huff. I agree. Because the fact that, you know, you knew Jordan Matthews was more than solid coming off his near-thousand-yard campaign. You figure Aguilar's going to grow in his second year. But I think there were some questions about Huff his first two years. He splashed some ridiculous talent but he's been wildly inconsistent. Um, I like the kid a lot. Um, I think that he could be an impact player in this offense. To me, the fact that they didn't use a draft pick on a wide receiver, I think speaks highly for him. I think it helps his chances moving along. Now, the Eagles did add Ruben Randall. Mm-hmm. They had Chris Givens. But still, I think the speed element is the one thing that the Eagles would still like to add um, to get some more dynamic chunk plays yeah. in 2016.
0: And I mentioned it earlier with Smallwood. Huff could easily play that kind of role, too, for sure. D'Anthony Thomas you know, and be yeah. that kind of movement player uh, very easily. So that wouldn't surprise me at all either.
2: I think one of my biggest takeaways from this draft, and it's something that you just kind of mentioned, c is that this shows me that the Eagles coaching staff has a lot of faith in those three wide receivers at the top of the depth chart. Jordan Matthews, Nelson Aguilar, and Josh Huff. I think they really like those guys. They like the potential of what those guys could be. Maybe they looked at the film last year and said, "You know, our offense is different. They're going to be running different routes. We can use them in different ways that better suit their skill sets." So I think those three players really come out of this um, with the coaching staff having a lot of faith in them and a lot of trust in them, um, and I think that they could all be in for for pretty big years. So, um, would you like to see the Eagles take receivers? Sure. You always like to see you know younger you know younger faces coming in and, and perhaps more speed, all those things. But I think that the Eagles coaching staff really likes those three guys at the top of the depth chart. Uh,
3: Also, Greg Lewis, you know, get that new coaching in here. Oh yeah, You know, savvy route runner during his time in the NFL. Hopefully he can pass that along to his new pupils. Our next comment comes from Lori Dietrich at 58 Mimi on Twitter. Eagles, I can't wait to see Carson Wentz in action. Naysayers all they want. The kid reminds me of Brett Favre. The gunslinger.
0: That's the comparison we've heard a lot this week. Doug Doug made it uh, in the post-pick press conference uh, Mm -hmm. on Thursday night. So, okay, I mean, I,
2: I feel like Carson Wentz is a little more. How should I put this? Uh, He's not going to take as many risks as far. That's
3: that's the one thing you hear, Brett Favre, and you love the passion that he had, the arm talent, the willingness to stick it in there, but you don't want the reckless, right? Brett you, if you could,
0: listen, if you could tell me that he's Brett Favre, obviously I'm signing the dot sure, of of line, course, right Of course, of <laughs> course, yes. yes. Sure. Sure. So I'm not going to stick my note. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: So, no question. Uh, again, we just fell in love with him during the process and in the days leading up to the draft. You know, once it, pretty much once the trade was made, it was like they're going all in on Wentz. You know, they would have taken golf. But I think internally, everyone was really, really, really pulling. And I'm sure they had a good feeling about sure. the fact the Rams were taking golf. But uh, still, I think everybody, just the stuff that you've heard about, who he is as a person, the character, as well as everything he did on the field and what he was asked to do on the field, just ridiculous for a collegiate quarterback in this day and age. Again, I anticipate a, you know, a learning curve. He'll, have, he'll need time to develop, but still, can't wait to see him on the field in, uh, I don't know if we'll see him at rookie camp, because I don't think those practices are open, but we will see him uh, probably for the mandatory yeah. mandatory, mandatory minicamp in June. Sure. So, so he'll have a couple weeks to uh, work in, and I know he's eager to get to work. So uh, I think he was probably begging for the playbook when he got here yeah. on yeah. Saturday. Uh, our last comment here comes from Brandon Anderson at Wheaton Brando on Twitter. How excited are you to welcome all 600,000-plus North Dakotans as fans? We've all come to the Vikes game. We'll all come to the Vikes game in October if you play Wentz. Well, just that reason alone. <laughs> and Throw I, them out there. I don't, I don't know if the stadium can hold 600,000. Sure. Is it North Dakotans? Does it uh, need to get sounds right. Hey, if, she said,
0: or if he said North Dakotans, I'm going to take his word for I'm it. I'm sure.
3: North Dakotans sounds right.
0: Listen, we've got fans now from Yazoo City all the way up to sure. Fargo, man. Sure. I mean, we're we're ready to go. nation Yes. Fargo.
3: Oh, I mean. world. Forget yeah. nation. <laughs> um, it's all over the all over the globe here. So. Out to
0: France. Yeah, but uh,
2: yeah. North, North Dakota is Vikings territory. So.
3: Oh, it's it's well, yes. my dad works there. Uh, he travels there two weeks out of the year. as a doctor on an Indian Reservation Hospital, really? and it's Vikings and Broncos are the two mm-hmm. teams. But sure. but w- once he, my dad was asking me about Wentz, and I was like, oh, you know, you might have to keep your eye. And when I found out we were making the trade, I was like, them You know, bison. tell tell uh, I got to send send back some Eagles gear the next time faithful. he goes he goes out there. So they are they are pumped about their uh, their hometown kid. So well, that's it. Right not again
0: until February. It, where the three of us are all together? Yeah. For the uh for a journey.
3: What did you do? Did you uh did you cry? A little did you shed a little tear once uh
0: No. Yeah, so well how do you celebrate
2: when the draft ends?
0: Do you? I watched Leonard Fournette. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, he probably was. He's like, all right, let's move on to 2017. Yeah, there was someone, I think it was uh, the NFL Network courting producer, is like, I can't wait till 2017 draft. Like, can we give this one, like, five course, minutes yeah. to breathe? Like, I get, yeah, you have people who do the 2017 mock drafts and all that stuff. But, you know, I am want to enjoy seeing these guys come to Philly and find out who the Eagles select as undrafted free agents and let the competition begin. I Real mean, quick,
0: the last thing before we... Sign off. The one thing you would change about the whole draft process, period, in, a, in one sentence. Ooh. The whole draft, cover, from a coverage perspective. Hmm. I have mine. That's why I came up with the question. From our coverage? Or no, like just not just the whole nationwide coverage.
3: coverage. Um. This is a fascinating one. Um. My big thing would
0: be to not overhype the underclassmen before all the due diligence sure. is done, you saw all these under. Uh, I think it was like thirty plus 30 underclassmen 90. didn't get drafted. I mean, and yeah. guys that were being talked about as first round picks in you know January, like that. To me, like there's got to be some more responsibility from the people that are doing coverage, not from. Look, Joe Blow, Joe Blow blogger, of course. Like, yeah, he might. He's gonna. He's entitled to say what he wants, and if he believes that he, the guys for absolutely, but. From the bigger networks, and for, like, there's got to be, I think, a little bit more in terms of responsibility to to not overhype those players.
3: It's a challenge because you're going off of what we can see, what we know, and it's not a lot. Yeah, you don't have medicals, you don't know what teams truly think of guys, you don't know until draft weekend happens. Um, but there's different reasons why guys come out. Hey, there is the advisory board, which has been. Change yes. to try to make it more definitive. Look, you're going to be first round, was it first round, second round, or you should go back to school. Yep. To try to make it seem like, look, unless you're a surefire thing by this board, don't come back. Don't Just go back to school just for another school. year. But, you know, there were different situations. You look at uh, the tight end the Cowboys drafted, Rico Gathers from sure. Baylor. is about to have a second kid. There's some family things. Absolutely. You know, we, no we, we heard the Peyton Barber. Who did he get selected by, by the way? He didn't. He was undrafted. He
0: dra- undrafted.
3: Well, we heard why he yeah. did. His Drafted. mom was homeless.
0: Yeah, he went undrafted. You yeah. know, uh, and, but like guys like Jeremy Cash went undrafted, who was you know a top twenty pick if you asked everybody on December thirty first. Um, but I digress.
2: Well, that kind of leads me into what I would change is okay. okay.
0: that no one should be able to put out a mock draft
2: until March, because so, so early in, in the process. Maybe after the combine, that's when you're legally allowed. To, I'd make it a legal, <laughs> legal thing, right? I'd make it
3: a legal a, okay. le- a law. But, but that, Miles Jack was a top five pick that, until that's what I'm saying, yeah, that's guess, a week ago. Who did guess? But even guessed. still, that's what I mean. Right. I mean. A week ago, Miles Jack was a top five pick. I mean, I mean, it just you know it. it Larry Munso was the yeah, number, one number one overall guy, pick of until
2: trains. it. It you know it just it changes the narrative. You know, from early on, oh, this guy's going to be uh, a number one pick, and then he ends up going in like the. Fourth or fifth round by the time it happens, and you know people are wondering why. Uh, so I'd probably I change that, um, and I think at the combine I would make the weigh-ins private. I wouldn't let the the media or scouts. Why do we have to watch the weigh-ins?
0: Oh, we we're not at the combine. Or you oh, mean senior bowl. Combine, senior, senior, bowl. Bowl. senior bowl? Senior bowl. Senior Oh come on, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like, what's the difference between getting it on a piece of paper? Oh, there is not. Of course which, not. which is what they do at the
2: Shrine of Game, of course,
0: and everywhere else. Yeah,
2: but you know. They make that a right. a big event.
0: C-Mac,
3: anything? Uh, you know the big the big thing that people harped on was the anonymous scouts thing. Yep. Yeah. And I have a theory
0: about that, but I'll let you go, I'll
3: go. We can we can discuss this real quick, but there's there's a value to it. Like the Bob McGinn post combine, mm. you know, piece on like the top fifty prospects. is fabulous stuff because you try to get of some course. you get some what you consider to be Genuine insight. He seems to have good sources. Some of it is ridiculous The Eli Apple... Eli Apple's mom is phenomenal on Twitter. It's been great. A gem. a gem. Great in the last couple of days. Did you the
2: Carson Wentz tweet that she had?
3: No.
1: Oh, really? They were on the
2: same flight coming back from the draft. Okay, did not see I see this one. I think he was sitting the row in front of them. Uh-huh. And she said something like, Carson, she took a photo of him and said, Carson went sitting the row in front of me. Like, hey, Carson, can I hold $3 for you or something? Like, <laughs> since he's a top two pick and he's probably going to be in line for a decent rookie contract. Yeah. Like,
0: hey,
3: can I hold uh, $3 for you? I <laughs> think
0: Eli Apple will be all right, though.
3: That's yeah. Yeah, he's sure. won't, he won't be struggling there sure. in uh, sure. the Big Apple. Um, but... The thing that came about him was like he can't cook. He has no life skills. Like, it's like come, come on. Like that's that's more I think on the report. Yeah, could you I would get told you your I reporters are told tons of things. Sure. You know, we we know Tony Pauling quite well, and there's things that he definitely sits on that he hears about. He knows mm-hmm. that you don't go with everything you, you hear. Mm-hmm. You got to be selective about it, especially. But I understand the competition. You're trying to get your name out there. You're trying to get clicks, all that stuff. Um, so I'm not – I don't really have a great answer for this question. There's I nothing. That's a good, I think that's a good answer. But I, think, but I think it's something that's, you know, to take into consideration. There's, there is value to it in terms of why people do it. I think it's for low-level scouts to get their names out there. Yeah. To You know, hey, my team is not going to take this guy where I think they're wrong, and I'm going to show them that I'm going to be right on this guy because that's – this is the time of year where the scouts, the personnel guys, the guys, you know, behind the scenes – get to make things happen and this like the draft is their Super Bowl yeah, so cool. to speak. And I'm sure there are area scouts who are probably like, Man, I had a second round grade on this guy and the team doesn't believe in it. Well, you know, three years from now I'm gonna show them that I was right, something like that. Well,
0: Daniel Jeremiah, I believe it I'm pretty sure it was it was Daniel Jeremiah who went out on Twitter and said that or he he put it out there somewhere, it might have been on his podcast mm-hmm. and said that he thinks that since most teams now use scouts as detectives, as fact finders that all these guys, they, they want to get their opinions out there, just like how you said, and they, wa- they want to feel validated. So they, they want to put, they want to put. oh, yeah, I've got a second-round grade on this guy. I've got a fifth-round grade on this guy. Uh, this guy will never work out, or this guy is going to be an MVP. Um, that's why they put it out there. So I, I agree.
3: That's interesting. Is that the best use? I understand that's how scouts are used nowadays, but it's like are you getting away from what they're supposed to be doing is evaluating the player, or is that a seamless enough Process where enough guys, enough veteran guys, you know, cross check and go through that. Oh, we'll get the tape part. It's the personality part.
0: I think that's I think I think that's the right way to do it. I think because you've got if you've got a, a, a head coach, a coordinator, a position coach, a, a GM, and a, another personnel man as a as a, a cross checker, and you still get a film eval from the from the area scout. That's six people that mm-hmm. are going to get fil- that are going to guys on his tape it's more important to get the background, because we, we know how much yeah. background and personality and uh, attitude and how much all of that plays in. So I digress. There was, I figured I'd throw that yeah. out there as a as, so a, had, little, as a little closing.
3: Uh, the biggest thing now is get them into your camp and start to develop them yeah. as players, as people as well, because they are going to be a lot of them on their own for the first time in their lives. And you, know, you got to provide them the right environment to learn and grow and develop and to become impact players, because look, some of these guys who maybe fall by the wayside are talented just for whatever reason, the way the team develops them, brings them along, you know, off the field stuff, they just, they don't make it. So how can you limit it? Because again, the the NFL draft is a crapshoot. You're trying to make the best educated guesses on these players as you can. So get them in your building and try to do the right things to grow them so that you can limit the risk, and hopefully that these Day 3 guys will become impact players for the Eagles. So, On that note, uh, a special shout-out to our producer, Brian Thomas. BT. Who has been listening behind the scenes for the last nine months since we got things going here. Uh, Back in October, I believe it was, the first during to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. So, special thanks uh, to BT, a big part of the... Big reason why this podcast has been successful, but obviously it's all about you guys out there. Uh, you know, it's been top fifteen on Stitcher. It's consistently in in the top fifty on on Stitcher during the draft process, especially the last couple of weeks. So, you know, your guys' support has been phenomenal, and you know, it's been fun. It's been a fun process uh, learning about these guys and then seeing where they, seeing what teams think of them, and where they ultimately go yeah. on draft weekend. So, for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. I'm Chris McPherson. Let's do it again next year, guys. Let's do it again next year. There we go. are just a couple months away. It'll be time to start up the next round of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. But for everyone here, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in the fall.